that you're the answer to people's prayers? You. You are the answer to people's prayers. That's quite sobering, isn't it? That there's a prayer that somebody's praying at the moment that you might well be the answer to. Wow. Uh-oh. That is an uh-oh moment for some people. Because <laughs> that can be a nervous place, can't it? That can be a difficult place to think, I can't be the answer to someone's prayer. What can I say? What can I do? But you know, even just coming along somebody, alongside someone in their hour of need, says more sometimes than having the magic words to say. Just, just saying to someone, hey, I'm, I'm here with you. I remember going through a difficult, and I think I've said it before, going through a difficult time in my life where I didn't necessarily want people to say the right thing. And I'm the same, and I'm sure we're all the same, that when someone goes through loss or they go through a tragedy, I know people that say, well, I didn't get in contact because I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to be to that person because it seemed so tragic, so I just didn't say anything and didn't make con. I want to tell you, when you go for it, sometimes all you want to know is that someone's just standing by you, not having anything right to say, not having anything to say, but to just know that you're there. You're the answer to people's prayers. You. Last week, we, um, we looked at saying with, with David, didn't we? And I wanted to move away from David because Rob had done it for a couple of weeks and God said, stay in David. So I brought last week and I thought, okay, God, I'm not going to stay in David this week, am I? And he actually said, no, but we, we looked at saying life is understood looking backwards, didn't we? Life can only be understood looking backwards, but must be lived going forwards. And I gave you four words for going forwards, remember? And this week I thought, and some people said, oh, Rob, we, we met up again this week, and he said, oh, he said, God, you and your titles, he said. <laughs> he said, he's, as you come out, he said, I wish I thought of that, he said. And then he used the word drat. Me and Joe laugh about it because he said, who, who says the word drat nowadays? <laughs> Rob does, yeah, Rob. But I thought, I don't hear it from anybody else saying the word drat apart from Rob, unless it's someone else. Do you know anyone else that says the word drat? It's not, I don't even know what it means, drat. It's kind of, was it Dick Dastardly or something, wasn't it? Or someone like kind of cartoon. Who says drat? I don't even know what it means. But anyway, Rob said drat, he said this week. But life is to be understood looking back. And so, as I thought about David, I thought, okay, God, let's look. What, why was he like he what? what let's sort of look back sort of to a previous couple of people within his life. And I came across the book of Ruth. Came across the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is literally the book just before 1 Samuel. So you can turn to Ruth. Please, 
Because that's where we're going to be this morning. But you might say, and I said the same thing. I was like, what is the book of Ruth doing here? What is, what is, why is the little book of Ruth wedged between the books of Israel's history, the law, then the kings and the judges and all the, the grandeur, as it were, back in Israel's history. What is this little old book of Ruth doing here? And it so could be insignificant, seems out of place. That you can easily miss the book of Ruth. Now you have to understand as well that Ruth was a, was a woman for a start. Obviously, called Ruth. But she was also a pagan woman from a, from a foreign land. So we've got a, a woman and we've got a woman from a pagan land. That If you understand the culture back then, that for this very fact of Ruth being in the Bible, in, in this place, strategically placed, you think, God, what are you doing here? This seems out of place. And there's a guy called Johann Wolfgang van Gogh. Great name, isn't it? Johann Wolfgang van Gogh. He's a German writer or poet. And this is what he said about the Book of Ruth. He said, the Book of Ruth is the crown jewel of the Old Testament. I like that. The Book of Ruth is the crown jewel of the Old Testament. It seems out of place. It seems insignificant. It seems, what is it doing here? He writes and says it's the most loveliest, complete work on a small scale, a masterpiece. That's how he described the book of Ruth. Only four chapters long. Seems out of place. But when I saw that, I thought, hey, how sometimes when we feel that we're insignificant, we feel like we're in the wrong place. We don't feel like we fit in. I want to tell you, the book of Ruth is strategically placed. It's not out of place. And we're going to have a, have a little look. See, because verse 1 it says that there was a famine in the land. There was judges that ruled. And actually, if you go back to the end of Judges, which is the previous book, it actually says that in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Doesn't that sound like the days that we're living in today? <laughs> that people have not made God king of their life? And so people are literally doing what they want to do in their own sight, in their own sort of um, way of doing things. Everyone did what was right in their own sight. And so there was a famine in the land. And, and the family here, Naomi, who turns out we'll get to, to, to Ruth in a minute, but Naomi uh, and her husband, the husband decided that we've got to move from where we are because of the famine to the land of Moab. And it didn't quite work out. Didn't quite work out. And the question is, have you ever made any decisions that didn't quite work out? <laughs> quite a few. Have you ever made a decision that you thought was going to work out well, but it didn't quite go as you planned it? 
actually on a smaller scale, when I think about that, I don't know about you, but I'm a, a, a nightmare at picking the wrong lane. <laughs> or picking the wrong queue. You know, when you go somewhere and there's a, a line of like three different queues or four queues, if you're, you're, you're queuing up for some, McDonald's, is the classic. You go in and you kind of got the two lanes for the drive through and you think, oh yeah, I'll pick that one because that one seems the shortest. And then all the time, every time, they're doing an order for about 40 people and I'm still stuck behind and the other queues flying through. They're going for it. <laughs> or the Tamar Bridge this week, we had to go to Tamar Bridge over the bridge. And you're kind of coming up, and there's about five or six different lanes there, isn't it? And I'm thinking, right, this one looks the shortest. I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to go for it. And we get there, and the guy's fumbling around for coins. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, the queue that was longer than the one we joined is now going through. As does a classic. You see them queuing up with their trolleys in the lane. And you've got the lady with a big hand saying, this aisle's free, or this lane's free. So I think, great, I'll get in here. And as I get there, then someone's there with a big thing of shopping and we're still waiting and seeing other people and they're going through and we're still there waiting. The classic was customs, wasn't it, in America? You get there in the kind of America is a bit of a nightmare for customs. We had, we had reports of like people having two, three hour waits or whatever at customs. And as you get there, you, you're kind of wanting to get through, get out to your place or your destination. And we're, we're waiting there and we looked and as we were getting our passports checked and that, we looked and there was a queue of just two people. Other queues had lanes of like five or six and we're thinking, yeah, quick, get into that lane, make a decision. We'll get into the lane with two people. And we were there for nearly an hour waiting just for these two people. And the other lanes, you've guessed it, they're all going through. Our other family members, they were flying through waiting for us. We always pick the wrong lane. You think you're making a good decision, but it turns out to be a bad one. I know that's not quite on the scale, but you know what I'm jesting, yeah? And I'm sure you can all relate to that. But you see, when... Like in, 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 in Naomi here, when you rule yourself or when you let others rule instead of God, that's when the problems arise. That's always when problems arise. Now, I'm not saying that the famine was because of decisions they'd made. You see, sometimes life just happens. Life just happens. But it can be because of bad decisions that you've made. There's a famine. I'm not talking food. It could be a famine of peace. It could be a famine of finance. It could be a famine of well-being. Whatever it may be. Contentment. Because of bad choices. But God still turns it around for good. As we'll see at the end. See in verse 5 of, of Ruth 1 it says that Mahalon and Chilion, those are still names available for baby names if anybody wants them. <laughs> that was Naomi's sons, her two daughters, they married, uh, the, the two sons, sorry, married two daughters and, and in the end Naomi's husband died because of the famine and then her two sons died. What a tragedy, what loss. That does not always mean that's a sign that God's abandoned you. And then verse 6 and 7, this is part of the return. Because they had left to try and find something better. 
They had left to go somewhere to think, God, is this you? They left probably with good intentions, trying to find food, trying to find a good life. Then they arose to return. And, and Ruth was one of the daughters of, of Melion and Chilion. They had both died, and so there was two daughters. They took wives from a, a foreign land, it says. But Naomi said that she had heard that God had visited the country to give them bread. So she decides to return. Where does faith come from? Hearing. Faith comes by hearing, the Bible says. So Naomi hears. Faith arises within her. And she says, hey, we've got to go back. We've got to go back to God's, God's place. Naomi says to her two daughter-in-laws, rather than saying, come back with me, what does she say? She says, go back to your countries. Go back to your countries. In verse 14 and 15, after some debate where initially they were saying, yeah, we're going to go back with you. In the end, verse 14, it says that they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah, one of the daughter-in-laws, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But this is the line. It says, Ruth clung to her. But Ruth clung to her. See, Naomi was in a place of, of not understanding initially with, with the famine. It actually says in this time that there was a lack of revelation, a lack of God's word. It says that in 1 Samuel, it says God's word was so rare at this time. There was no widespread revelation. Think of Job. The book of Job, we criticize Job, but actually Job, the book of Job, sits really pretty much at the beginning of time, of creation, and so their understanding of God was quite limited. See, we've got the full word, haven't we? We've got the full word of revelation, and we still struggle. <laughs> they were easy to criticize sometimes decisions that people made, but they were doing it under good intentions, they didn't have the Bible. Ruth, Naomi didn't have the book of Ruth. She didn't have the book of, you know, Ephesians, Romans. They were working on good intent. Sometimes we need to give some people some slack. We have the full word of God and we still struggle. But unknown to Naomi, God was working behind the scenes. That's another one of yours, isn't it? It's true. Unknown to Naomi, God was working behind the scenes. I want to say to you today, unknown to you. Unknown to you, God is working behind the scenes. There's a stirring. Her heart stirred. She said, hey, there's something happening back in the homeland there's something happening. I've got to get back. I need to return. Sometimes, you know, when we're unknown, working behind the scenes, sometimes we don't need to know. We don't need to know what God's doing, but we want to know, don't we? We always want to know. But I tell you, there's sometimes where God says, you don't need to know. You don't need to know because I'm God. 
I'm God. You don't need to know. You know, sometimes you need to pray. Well, pretty much always we're praying not knowing, aren't we? Yeah, for many years we prayed for you not knowing. Not knowing what God was doing behind the scenes. And I'm sure you can relate in your own life where you're praying not knowing, but you're still believing that God's doing something behind the scenes. We need to pray not knowing. There's power in prayer as we've seen this morning. And we've heard testimonies of God's goodness. There's power in prayer. So good to see Asha with us. Sometimes we don't need to know. We just need to trust. We need to trust. And so the two daughters who were going back, initially they both said we're going back. But after Naomi persuaded, one said, okay, She said, I'm going back to my country then. I'm going back to Moab, to my gods, and to my way of life. But Ruth, it says that she clung on. The word there, clung, actually is is implementing. It says, what's the word? It implies, that's the word I'm looking for, superglue. She stuck. Whereas one said, I'm going one said, I'm staying. But in that like life, sometimes we don't know we're coming or going sometimes. And the very fact, you know, I said turn to the book of Ruth and I didn't say turn to the book of Orpah. Because it could have been the book of Orpah. Yeah. Think about it. Let's all turn to the book of Orpah. Not Oprah, Orpah. But she, she went back. Whereas Ruth said, hey, I see something in you, Naomi, that I like. Just like Chloe did with Jen, just like Mim did with you, just like you did with somebody else in your life. Hey, there's something different about you. But to me, this says that sometimes there are some things that you need to say goodbye to. Orpah left and went back, but actually in my own life, when I look at it, there are some things that I need to kiss and say goodbye to that are not doing me any good, that are weighing me down, that are bringing discouragement, that are turning my attention from God. I need to kiss and say goodbye to some of those things. And then there are other things that I need to cling to. There are some things I need to cling to and say, these are doing me good. See, there's some people in your life that have left. Are there some people in your life that haven't stuck around when the going's got tough? Sure, you can all say yes. Since doing this job, since being a pastor, I've recognized that there are some people in my life that have backed off me, sadly. I'm not saying it to get any... Feel sorry for me, that's just the way it is. Some people can't stick around, but I want to tell you, God doesn't build your life on the people that left. God isn't building your life on the people that left. Whoever walked away from you, whoever's not encouraged you, it just means that they weren't there for your season. Doesn't mean that they're bad necessarily or that you've done wrong. Doesn't mean that you've got to get pins out and start to, so I'm going to get you. 
doesn't mean that. Pray for them. But God's not going to build your life on the people that left. Oprah left Naomi, but Ruth stayed. And God built something, as we'll see. There's an incredible passage of Scripture that's normally spoken at weddings, I believe, at verse 16 to 18. And I want to read it to you. This is what Ruth said. This is what Ruth said after Ruth, uh, this is what, um, yeah, Ruth said when she was going to stay with her. She said, entreat me, she says, urge me to Naomi not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. To Lord, do to me also, if anything but death parts you and me. And when Naomi saw this, that Ruth was determined to go with her. Determined to go with her. She was committed to relationship. Ruth was committed to relationship. That's what I love. That's why I encouraged us at the beginning just to say hello to one another, to hug one another, high five one another, is to say we should be committed to relationship one to another. It's so important. She said, I'm determined to go. And when Naomi saw it, it says that she stopped speaking to her. <laughs> when people realize that you're determined, when the enemy realizes that you're determined, he'll back off. When he knows what you believe, what you know that you know, to quote Helen, I know that I know that I know. When the enemy believes that he knows you know it, he'll back off. Seen that Ruth had said, your God shall be my God. That's the who. When you decide who the who is, your destination will be sorted. Your destination, where you're going, will be taken care of when you make the who. God, number one. See, this reveals to me Naomi's character. All that Naomi had been through, all the hurt, all the loss, she still stayed true. Ruth didn't want to go back. What does it say in, in 1 Corinthians? Paul says, imitate me. Imitate me, Paul says, as I imitate Christ. What does that word imitate there mean? It actually means to, to mime, copy. To copy like a mime artist. Imitate me, Paul says, as I imitate Christ. And that's what you did. That's what you're doing, imitating Christ. And Naomi viewed her beginning better than her present, she said. She said that when she came back, we skipped a few bits. You can read Ruth 2 and 3 this afternoon. I like giving you homework, don't I? But it says that Naomi, when she went out, she actually said, I was full when I went out and I've come back empty. And she said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, bitter. See, can't bitterness blur our view of life? 
Can't hurt and disappointment blur our view on life? She was saying that God has dealt harshly with me. But she said, I've come back empty. But she had overlooked something. Just like we can overlook the book of Ruth sometimes, thinking it's, you know, insignificant. She overlooked the fact that Ruth was actually with her. Yeah, when she went back, she says, I've come back empty. But actually, she came back with Ruth. She wasn't empty. And she had God on her side for a start. She wasn't empty. But don't we do the same? We do the same. And I want to tell you today that it's the beginning of a new season for you. It's the beginning of a new season. Verse 22, as they came back, there's a little throwaway line there that says that as they came back to Bethlehem, it was the beginning of the harvest, the barley harvest. And I want to tell you today, I want to speak over you to say that today is the beginning of a new season for you. It's the beginning, Asher, of a new season for you. I noticed it as I was driving up this morning. If you notice that the, the leaves are changing color because it's the beginning of a new season. But I want to tell you in the spirit today, there is a beginning of a new season in God for you. And then the last part is the restoration. There's a shift in the story. Because quickly, we, Ruth, as you know, she ends up uh, meeting Boaz. And Boaz was her kinsman redeemer. What does that mean? Some of you may know a kinsman redeemer. But Ruth coming back with Naomi, they were penniless. They didn't have any land. They were, they were pretty much marginalized coming back. That, that Ruth, as you'll read in chapters 2 and 3, she starts gleaning from the field. That, that Boaz, in, in their culture, they had to leave a certain part of the field for, for poor people to glean from. God's provision, yeah? To look after the needy and the marginalized. And so she ends up gleaning from this field that's owned by Boaz. And as it turns out, Boaz is a distant relative of Naomi. And in their culture, they had to have a kinsman redeemer, someone who was kin to them, part of the family that would take on that person. What a picture of Jesus. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. And so Boaz takes on the, the male relative who had the privilege and responsibility of looking after Ruth. Isn't that a word that's struggling nowadays? Responsibility? <laughs> Nobody seems to take responsibility anymore, do they? It's always somebody else's fault. It's always blame someone else. It's not my responsibility. Well, I'll tell you, in this cult, today, we need to take responsibility one for another. Maybe you need to take responsibility in something. I don't know. But Boaz took on the responsibility of Ruth. And to me, that's a picture of saying our kinsman redeemer, Jesus, he took us on. He dealt, he redeemed us. We say, let the redeemed say so. What does redemption mean? He took our sin, our guilt. We sung it this morning, our shame. He took it for us and paid the price on the cross. So now he protects us. 
Part of the kinsman redeemer was partly protection, security. I'll say it again. This place is a safe place. This place is a safe place. Our kinsman redeemer. And it says that, it goes on near the end of of chapter 4, that Ruth ends up having a baby with Boaz. It almost implies that it was a miraculous conception which suggests that Ruth could have been barren back in the land of Moab. But it says that, verse 14, it has a beautiful ending in that what started in loss actually ends in fruitfulness and fullness. And I want to tell you that's for you today. A beautiful picture of fullness and restoration Wasn't that the word that we were working through? The prophecy that Sam being restored back to refreshing and power. I'm taking you back to a time of restoration, of satisfaction in me and power and word and spiritual joy. And here at the end of Ruth is a beautiful picture. See, again, the same women very same women that when Naomi came back, she said to them, don't call me, don't call me Naomi. Call me Myra for I'm bitter. And the women actually carried on calling her Naomi. And in verse 14 there of chapter 4, it actually says that the women said to Naomi, aren't you glad for some women that says, I'm not going to listen to what you're saying. I'm going to call you as I see you, as what God's called you. See, the name Naomi means lovely, pleasant, and delightful. She wasn't bitter, but aren't we our own worst enemies sometimes? We think we're this, we think we're that. We listen to lies sometimes from the enemy and we say, I'm not good enough, I'm not. Whereas God says, hey, I've called you beautiful. I've called you pleasant. I've called you lovely. And what I love is when I see that, they said that the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you. Somebody needs to hear that today. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you. God's not left you. God has not left you. But you are blessed. You're restored. You're forgiven. And it says that she had a a baby, Ruth, her her daughter-in-law. And it says that He was the restorer, nourisher. God nourished her and restored her. And she said to him that he is better than seven sons who have been born to you. And it says that Naomi took the child in her arms, in her bosom, and became a nurse to him. She held the promise. She held the promise. Do you see that? She held the promise. There was a baby. They were in Bethlehem. There was a baby Born in Bethlehem. (laughs) A baby of promise. Don't you see in there that it's a picture of Jesus? And actually when you look through, the actual genealogy is that Obed was the great granddad of David. King David. Obed begot Jesse. Jesse begot David. 
And actually, when you go through it in the book of Matthew, you realize that the genealogy of Jesus came through the line of King David. There was a baby born in Bethlehem. It's too early for Christmas stories yet, isn't it? I want to tell you, God is working. God is restoring. And I want you to hear this morning, I just want you to put your Bibles down and as we come to a close, that there's a, there's a powerful scripture, and I don't like taking scripture out of context, and I'm not taking it out of context because we do that too often sometimes in isolation, but there's a powerful scripture in Job 8, 7. And I've quoted this many times. It says, though your beginning was small, yet your latter end will increase abundantly. That's what was spoke over Job. And I declare that for my life, and I declare that for your life today. That though your beginning was small, see, Naomi looked and said, I went out full and came back. She was saying that the beginning of her life was small, empty, insignificant maybe. But at the end of Ruth, Ruth was, was restored. Naomi was restored. God restored to her. He had blessed her. He had not left her. And I want to pray today for you to let you know that your end is going to be better than your beginning. In God, your end would increase abundantly. It's a new season for you. It's the start of the barley season. It's a new season for you. Though your beginning was small, your latter end would increase abundantly. Just close your eyes, please. Lord, today, Lord, someone needs to hear that. Someone needs to hear that you've not left them. Someone needs to hear that their end is going to be better than their beginning. Someone needs to hear, Lord, that they are blessed, that they are pleasant, that they are lovely, and that they're delightful. Someone needs to hear that this morning. It's not so important as as you start, it's how you finish. That's important. And the one that you finish with, his name is Jesus. Lord, today in this place, Lord, I ask that you reveal to us, Lord, some of those things maybe that we need to say goodbye to, that we need to kiss goodbye to, and say you're not good for me in my life. And Lord, help us recognize some of those things, Lord, that we need to cling to. Like Ruth, she clung and she was determined, made herself strong, to say, I'm not going anywhere. Lord, help us to realize some of those things in our life that we need to cling to. But also, Lord, help us to realize some of those people that we need to cling to as well and those that are clinging to us. Lord, to keep our character as pure as possible, Lord, as we stay close to you. Help us to cling to you, Lord, in this season. 
Lord, that we know that there's fullness and there's restoration in you. Lord, I pray, Lord, this morning that you help those that are feeling that, Lord, your arm is against them. Lord, I help them to know, Lord, that you're not against them. The Bible says that you're for us and not against us. You're for us, not against us. Help us, Lord, in this season to know that you have a hope and a future and a destiny for us. That we're going to hold the promise. That the time is coming, Lord, when you're working behind the scenes. And Lord, we're praying often not knowing. Not knowing, but having an assurance, a determination to say we're not backing off. We're not backing off from what you've promised. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Lord, we're thankful today for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that we're not insignificant. We're not insignificant, but we're in a place for such a time as this. You're the restorer of our souls. And you're restoring your kingdom, Lord. Lord, as we, we come to a close, Lord, I ask that right now, as, as there's people in this place that you're ministering to, that Lord, if it's just one word, one word that they hold on to, cling to, that Lord, you would reinforce that. You would strengthen that, Lord, as we go. Lord, this is a church that is going forwards. We are going forwards in the things of God. We are going forwards as we look to you. We look to you, Jesus. You can say amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That we're going to finish better than what we started. That we may have had small beginnings, but we're going to have big endings in the things of God. Amen? Amen. Let's just stand to our feet, please.